David. All right, way to go, Brittany girl. It is uh, good to be here at Liberty on the Mountain for Spiritual Emphasis Week. How's everybody doing? You guys got like, like a crazy football team beating everybody up and stuff already, man. That's good stuff, huh, man? That's awesome, man. I am excited to be here. I hope that we all kind of know what Spiritual Emphasis Week is all about. It's really about that we haven't just set aside time on a calendar, but that we have really just kind of come into this place where we're going to say we're going to encounter God. We're going to connect with God. And I want to make sure that we kind of start off everybody on the right page, kind of going in the right direction. Uh, Have you ever met anybody that's like loopy? Ever met like loopy people the way you laugh, met? Yeah, you know those loopy people. That's right. There was this little girl, she's 17 years old, she's in high school, she's a little loopy, you know, she got some, some dots missing off her dice, she got a little too much chlorine in the gene pool, you know what I'm talking about. You know, she puts her fingers in the ears and she's like, I can hear the ocean, you know, that's just a little loopy, you know, so she, uh, she gets a car, it gives her mother great concern, her mother's a little over the top on the whole security and worried about her, you know, so... And she sent her out on some errands, and like a good mother, she's always looking at the traffic reports, right? So she sees this traffic report, and on Interstate 20, there's a car going in the wrong direction. She calls her daughter up on the cell phone. She's like, oh, baby, baby, where are you at? She said, I'm on Interstate 20. She said, oh, honey, you've got to be extremely careful in your car, extremely careful, because there is a car going in the opposite direction on Interstate 20. You've got to be careful out there. And she said, Mom, it's not just one car, there's hundreds of them. It's kind of, it's kind of some of those getting it now, like, oh, I get it, yeah. You know, this is really important that when we say we're going to have spiritual emphasis this week, that all of us are kind of going to be going in the same direction together, that we know what God's up to and where we're going. To do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to a, um, a passage of Scripture in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll be looking at basically verses 1 through 8 in Isaiah chapter 6. And what's happening here is this is an encounter with God. It kind of sets the template, if you will, of what we can expect out of this week if we've said, okay, it's not really about the band, it's not about the speaker, not even really about the school thing. It's really about us coming together, saying we want to have an encounter with God. That's the direction we're going. That's kind of what we're leaning into. Then what does that look like? You know, what does that that look like for us? And uh, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person next to you right now. Just go ahead and look at the person next to you. You knew God was going to ask you to do something difficult this week. There it is right there. Amen. Got to look at that old booger head next, next to you. Here's what I want you to do. Look at them right in the face and as loud as you can. I want you to just kind of preach at them. I'm not going to be the only preacher. I want you to preach at them. On the count of three, I want you to scream at them. Just preach it at them and say, we are going to encounter God. One, two, three. Yes, we are. Now, if we're going to do that, there's been some girls wanting to preach a long time. There's some girls like, we're going to encounter God. Like, I never get to get up there and preach, but I'm doing it now, baby. Well, if you're going to encounter God, what does that look like? Well, here's a dude by the name of Isaiah, right? And this bro leans into this God thing. And in Isaiah 6 through 8, we see this template that serves as what happens when somebody really meets with God. Now, check this out. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Check it out. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He's encountering God. Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but I would write the word creepy right there. No, I'm just kidding. That may seem a little sacrilegious, but I didn't grow up in church. I haven't always read this Bible. And when I read it, there's some things that are kind of like, wow, that's kind of weird. And it is kind of weird until you read what's happening. Verse 3, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And verse 4, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, what is that? The place is shaken up, and the house is filled with smoke. What is that filled with smoke thing? Is it like some of his maybe bad roommates were there, you know, that smoke, and they're just kind of sitting there with their feet up on the pew, and the temple just sucking down some camels going, look at that. It's a big trainy roby thing with wingy creatures. You know, and smoke's everywhere. No, here's what he's saying, man. This is what he's saying. He is wanting us to realize, to make no mistake about it, he is encountering God. And he is saying that the only way to describe how thick the presence of God is in this place that he's at, he can only equate it to smoke. And he's saying, you know what? I am so in the presence of God. I am suffocating on his presence. I am choking on the presence of God. Oh, that God would give us moments like that this week together. That there would be no mistake that we can hardly even breathe because he sits down on this place and it is so thick with his presence. He's meeting with God. Look at the person next to you and say, he's meeting with God. He's meeting with God. There's no question. Now watch this. Verse 5, all that stuff's happening. So I said, woe is me for I am undone. Now you have to understand, woe, woe is the one word message of a prophet. Woe is a one-word message of a prophet. Woe basically means, okay, dude, you've been messing up, and you are toast. That's kind of what the cliff notes of that message is. Woe to Nineveh. Remember Jonah just kind of busted on Nineveh? It's like, woe to Nineveh. And all the prophets would kind of go in, and they go, woe to you. And then basically means you've hacked God off, and God is coming, and he's going to open up a can on you, and it's all over, dude. You guys are done, okay? God is hacked, and you guys are toast. Well, now here's Isaiah, and who is he saying woe to? To himself. He is in the presence of God, and it's not like this real, you know, toasty, toasty, warm, little fuzzy cafe moment. He is saying, I am going to die. Matter of fact, that holy, holy, holy thing right there, he is going to be, I am so messed up, and he is so unmessed up. I am so worldly, and he is so otherworldly. I am so finite, and he is so infinite. I am sure in his presence, he is going to crush me. I am going to die. Woe is me. He's pronouncing judgment on himself, and he says it. For I am undone. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips. And that didn't mean like he had like cold sores. <laughs> like, dude, look at you. Put something on that. It's bleeding, and you're grossing me out. No, he just means I'm a man of unclean lips, meaning that he's probably saying, like Jesus was saying, it's not really what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of the deep recesses of his heart. He's just making a confession here that he is absolutely sinful through and through. And he said, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, the wingy creature guy, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my lips with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. 
your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also, verse 8 is very important. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah speaking, here am I, send me. I will not be able to exhaust these verses here, but I want to say that in this kind of template that sets as a template for us to know, okay, what happens when you really encounter God? And it's kind of the backdrop of where we're going this week in spiritual emphasis weeks. There are basically three major moments that I want us to kind of look at. Three major moments that are always present if you're really meeting with God, okay? Here it is. The very first one is what I call a demonstrative moment of worship. A demonstrative moment of worship. Here's Isaiah. He's in there. He's got major trouble in his life, maybe big giant woes in his life. It's the year that King Uzziah died. He was a good king. His heart is broken. He's got a lot of pressure on his life. Maybe you got a lot of pressure on your life for this new, you know, school year you're embarking in. Maybe you got issues back home and you're far away from home, but you're here and you can't handle those. We all have a lot of stuff on our emotional radar, but all of a sudden he's in the temple and God shows up. And when God shows up, Listen, it changes from all about his little tiny story of him to all of a sudden he gets a glimpse of this major unfolding story of the greatness of God. And he is all of a sudden in a big giant worship moment. And isn't that really where it kind of starts and ends with God? The whole big worship deal? I mean, that's the whole story there. God is God and we're to worship him as God. Cliff notes, nutshell right there. And he just kind of falls into this thing. And there's this big demonstrative moment of worship. There's these seraphim, and they are worshiping God. And he is just raptured. He's just kind of caught up in this, look at this thing. And the place is shaking. It's filled with smoke. And they're going, holy, holy, holy. Guess what? The whole earth is full of his glory. Not your glory. Not the glory of the school. Not the glory of your, you know, your life. It's all of, look, it, the whole earth is full of God's glory. And that's and that where it's at? It's all about when we meet with God, listen, there should be in this place this week, we should maybe rearrange and re-kind of set our minds that when we come into this place, and these guys are going to be up here kind of being the lead prompter worship people, that when we come in here, that we would kind of change our minds from everything else that's going on. And we would say, oh God, help us here like Isaiah did on the other side of heaven and help us to join in what those seraphim have been doing forever and forever and forever and will be doing forever and forever. Help us to just kind of go, you are God. And help us just to let go of everything, no matter if it's the year that King Uzziah died, no matter what pressures I have on me coming up in my classes, tuition, book payments, all the stuff, you're God. And let me celebrate that reality. And let me soak in that moment. A demonstrative moment of worship. I, uh, I remember when I was little, man, I was like six years old or something like that, maybe five. And I had a cool moment. I actually saw Elvis Presley in concert. Yeah. I saw Elvis. Mama, I'm like ADHD pie squared, so pray for me. And so nobody would babysit me, so I had to go with mom to the Elvis concert. My little redneck and crazy mama, I love my mama, she, to, the, to the Elvis concert. Now, let me, we go to the Elvis concert, and I'm with mom, my mom. Now, here's my adopted mother, totally, completely fired up. Let me show you her personality. Here's my mom, totally, completely jazzed. Here she is, you ready? My mom, fired up. Here she is. This is my mom, fired up. They're like, hey, mom, you having a good time? Everything okay? She's like, yeah, real exciting. You know, that's... 
That's my mom, kind of like an Eeyore moment. You know what I'm saying? She's just kind of, you know, thanks for asking. That's my mom. You know, so we're at the Elvis concert, and the wannabe bands are up, and there's my mom. You know, she's just being herself. They're pretty good. You know, and I'm, and I'm over there losing my mind about everything. Then the lights go out, right? The lights go out, and then this music starts. Dun, 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 dun. Dum, 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 dum. And I'm going, something's going to happen. You know, and I'm like, what is this? And then, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, what is, what's going on? What's going to happen? And then, dun, 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 dun. And out came the big jelly donut eating king of rock and roll, Elvis stinking Presley, baby. I mean, throwing it down, man. Going across the stage, shaboom, shaboom. He had a cape with blingage on it, people. He threw that cape around. He was like, hug a hug a burning love. And he's just throwing it down. And I'm just going, look at him. No way. I'm just losing my mind, right? Then I look up at my mom. Remember my mom? Everything's great. My mom has made her way on top of one of the chairs, people. And she's got her feet on top of the chairs. She's like, Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. You know, starts taking her shirt. I'm like, no, mom. Don't, no. Keep the shirt on. I'm like, what is this? You know, mom's just going, Elvis. I'm losing. I'm going, there is no way. Then my mom is doing this, you know? And then it was so cool because after that concert, all of her little buddies would come over and they'd go, come here, little ADD freak, come here. Tell us the story of mommy again, you know? And I'm like, yeah, she's And they're all going, there is no way. They're, all of her friends are cracking up. And then they look over at my mom, she's drinking coffee, and they say, Dottie, did you really do that? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> drinking her coffee. And they're like, there is no way. That is not you. That is not you. What in the world happened to you? You don't, that is not you. Listen to my mom's response. Check this out. And we can learn much about this as it relates to really encountering God. Watch this. My mom said this. I don't know. All I know is that someone bigger than life came into the room and I couldn't help but respond. Okay, we're going to give it to Elvis. He's the king of rock and roll. But people, listen to this. Lean into this. We know Jesus, who is the king of our soul. Yes. And when we come into this place, I I just pray that during this week that we would kind of like maybe tune in a little bit more and log on a little bit more mentally and emotionally and spiritually to what's going up on the stage with the whole worship thing, man. Because this is what's happening. There's a demonstrative moment of worship. These seraphim are letting this thing roll, man, and they're shaking the place. See, there's basically three types of worshipers that crisscross the country. One of my responsibilities is I am a sage or a tour pastor for contemporary Christian music bands like Skillet and Sanctus Real and Mercy Me and Casting Crowns and a bunch of other people. And I, I crisscross the country with them. I pastor those guys and I preach in their big concerts which see people get saved. But as I go across the country, I'm starting to kind of pick up on there are basically, I'm no A.W. Tozier, okay? But let me just make an observation. There's basically three fundamental worship people in here. And you're one of the three. We've got our reverent people, and the reverent people are the people that are very, very quiet, and they don't do a whole lot. They just kind of, and they're not going to raise their hands, because if they do, they would think that somebody thinks that they have a question. So they're not going to do that, and, but they're really, their heart is, they're reverent, and that's okay, because Psalms chapter 46 and verse 10 says very clearly, 
Be still and know that I am God. There's a place for reverence. But then we have our revved up worshipers. And the revved up worshiper people are the people that are upon their seats and they are, oh God, you know, they're just going crazy. They're just bellowing, they're just letting it go. They're just doing the thing and that's okay because the Bible says all in Psalms chapter 98, all in Psalms chapter 62, all, I mean all over the word, it got Psalms 100. Everywhere through the Psalms it's like shout to God, cry out to God, clap your hands. There's all this big giant revved upness that where people just can just be absolutely fired up about the whole God thing. There's a place for that, but we got to be careful. Because see, your, 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 your reverend people will look at the revved up people and they'll kind of go, that guy needs an emotional support group. You know, and then your revved up people, if you're not real careful, you'll look over at the reverend who's not doing much, and you're over there, yeah, and he'll just be standing there, and she'll just be standing there, and you'll want to bust a hard word of prophecy on him, like, why don't you get right with God and raise your hand in the air? You know, you want to just bust on him, but here's the kicker. I don't care if you're reverent or you're revved up. Here's the one that I think we all need to be, and it's a real worshiper, because Jesus made it real clear in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, when he saw the woman at the well, he said this. He said, my father is ante. My father is, in the Greek, my father is bent toward. My father's purpose is he is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to not just keep it real, but you got to be real before you can keep it real. Especially as it relates to your worship. And I'm just telling you, I just pray that this week would be times when we come in here and these guys are going to, these girls are going to be just leading us and prompting us to worship. And I pray that we would just let everything just kind of fall off and we would just go, okay, God, yeah, it might be the year that King Uzziah died, but the bottom line is this. I want to exclaim and I want to be very demonstrative about it. I want to make sure that I am exclaiming to the world that you are holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of your glory. That's huge. You might say, well, it's just not my personality to be revved up. That's not my personality to be revved up. I don't do that. You know what you just did? You just confessed that your flesh is in the way of your worship. Because it has nothing to do with your personality. See, when you really encounter God, it has nothing to do with your personality. It has everything to do with the person, and his name is Jesus. And are you so aware of him that when you breathe him in, you're almost choking on his grace. You're almost choking on his love. And when you just experience it, and when you feel it, and you know it, and you're rubbed against it, all you can do is go, thank you, and you let it go. I just hope that this week, you would come into this place, and one of the things that you would do if we're really going to encounter God is to make sure that that gear is in now, that we would demonstratively worship God. And when we do, there's another way that we will respond. There's the demonstrative moment of the worship, but then watch this. There's a duh moment over the heart of God, a duh moment, a duh moment. You say, where's the duh moment in this thing? Well, listen, a duh moment is this. A duh moment is when that which is not so obvious in our lives becomes crystal clear. You ever had a duh moment? When that which is not so obvious becomes crystal clear. I'll never forget my very first, one of my first marital duh moments. Been married for 16 years, loved my wife Tammy. We were at school. She was staying in our little 14 by 14 little cubbyhole igloo teepee thing we had. I was going to school, being a full-time youth pastor. She stayed at home. Hours and hours and hours, I'd leave at 5 a.m., I'd come back at 10 p.m., 
months and months and months, and I took her away from Jacksonville, Florida, out in Dallas, Texas, and she's just, you know, she's just, I'd come, I came home one day, and she's just, I was like, where is James Dobson when I need him? I am totally on my own right here, right now. I am in trouble right now. And, uh, and she starts crying. She said, I'm lonely. I'm so lonely. I said, I'm sorry. She goes, I want a dog. So well, praise God she didn't say cat. Amen. Amen. I'm not into the cat thing. All dogs go to heaven, all cats go to Well, anyways, amen. I just made the cat people mad. There's cat lovers. You ever met cat lovers? They're mad. Now they're like, <laughs> uh, see, they're psychos. Cat lovers are psychos. Because you just heard me say something about cats, and, and they said, oh, yeah, you just said that cats go to H-E double hockey stick. I saw the car that you came in, speaker, and I'm going to put a bomb in your car. Go ahead, put a bomb in my car. I'll take a cat in there with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not into it. My wife the other day said, you know what, people watch other people's pets. She goes, I don't like cats, but, you know, I think I'm getting there. I said, really? She goes, yeah, if my neighbor came over and said, would you feed my cat for the week? I'm going on vacation. Would you feed my cat? She'd say, sure. To what? <laughs> It'll get you a little bit later. Amen. So she said she, said she wants a dog, and she said she wanted a poodle. And I said, no, I'm not going to have a sissy dog. I'm not going to have a sissy poodle. It's not going to happen. I'm going to have a little sissy poodle dog, little fluffy thing. She said, I want to paint his toenails. I want to braid his hair. I'm like, his toenails, his hair? I said, no, I'm not going to have a dog when we let him loose in the neighborhood to use the bathroom. All the other dogs are going, ah, ha, 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 ha. you're a freak, you know? Not going to happen. I said, if I get a dog, I'm going to get a man's dog. I'm going to get a poodle. I'm going to get a man's dog. So I went out, I got a man's dog. I got a chihuahua. By that big, little bitty thing. It shook all the time. It's like, I was telling somebody one time, I said, they're very, they're very nervous dogs. That's why he shakes, very nervous. I thought I, heard him, I thought I heard him say, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. I'm freezing. You know, it's a little bitty old thing, man. But this is my little dog moment. My little dog, because we lived in a little bitty shack thing, 14 by 40, he would just kind of sleep right here on me at night, just roll up and sleep. And so one night I'm sleeping and he's there. I'm in that zone state. I'm like there, just rule coming out. I'm about uh, out studying for finals, and I'm just doing it. And my little dog, like, scratched my face. Like, I'm like, go to sleep now. Go bed. Night, night. And then a couple minutes went by, and he kind of, you know, was jumping on my face. You know? I'm like, get off. Lay down. Go to sleep. Night, night. Put you to sleep myself at the dog pound. Go to bed. You know? And then, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes later. Let's just say things got real warm. I wake up, man. There's my little chihuahua standing on me like, I'm like, ah, he's spraying the walls, man. I'm like, ah, I open up the door. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. like, I'm telling you, I did not have a clue what my little dog wanted. Didn't it? 
It was not obvious to me, but can I just tell you, there came a moment when it was absolutely crystal clear to me what my dog needed. Isaiah has a dumb moment. And I know you're going, what? Where did Isaiah have a chihuahua pee on him? I did not see that. Then you've wholly missed the complete point here. A dumb moment is when that which is not so obvious becomes crystal clear. What was Isaiah's statement when he saw God? You know what it was? Woe is me. You know what he thought? God is going to kill me because I am sinful. God is going to crush me because I am sinful. And then something amazing happens. He confesses his sin to God. And by the way, listen to me, students. Please listen to this. If you will confess your sins to God, it always moves heaven into action. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he just makes this confession thing out to God. Nothing alive, but just something very simple. And one of those wingy creatures comes up and grabs fire. Now, I want to give props to the prophet for not doing what I would have done. If I'm in that place and I see the wingy creature who shouts so loud that the place shakes, if I see him grab fire and he comes at me, fire flaming, I am not waiting around to find out what the wingy creature with the fire is going to do. I am out of there, bro. I am going to beat any Jamaican in the Olympics ever. Amen. I am out. I'm not waiting around for the whole fiery thing, man. I'm like, ah. But Isaiah doesn't do that. You know why? Because it's a real encounter with God. And he's, listen, here's what happens. He thinks that God is out there crushing, but God shows him something different. It is not obvious to him at all. Why? Because he thinks God wants to kill him. Remember, woe is me. It's not clear at all. But then all of a sudden, God does something he never saw coming. He touches his mouth with this coal, this this, uh, seraphim does, and he says, listen, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. The thing that's holding you in captive, the thing that's bringing you down, I have come to set you free from. God didn't want to crush him. You know what God wanted to do? He wanted to cure him. See, there's a great principle here, and I hope that we embrace this this week because it has everything to do, listen, with the direction that we're going for spiritual emphasis week when we say we want to encounter God, and it's this. Please, in Jesus' name, man, I'm, I'm trying to learn this in my walk with God. I haven't learned it all, man. I, I'm amazed that I do what I do with the artists that I pastor and stuff, and most of the time I'm telling them not to do what I did do. But here's, here, let me tell you, if you will stop running from what God is trying to do in your life, and instead of running, receive what he's trying to do in your life. It may look strange. It may look like it's going to hurt. Fire to the lips. Ouch. And it may be a little different. It may be a little strange. It may cost you. It may burn. It may hurt. But the results are supernatural. Your sin is purged. Two things people want, man, they want to know that they are loved and they want to be relieved of guilt. And in this moment, God shows him, you know what? I love you and I want to free you. And I don't want to crush you, I want to cure you. I don't know where you're at, but you might be on the outside of this whole Christianity thing looking in, but I want to encourage you, don't run from what God's trying to do in your life. When you look at the cross and you see Jesus, you know what it is? It is an incredible invitation for you to receive the love of God and to be set free from your sins. And it is a huge moment. And I pray that this week will be weeks like that where you have these dumb moments when it's not so obvious what God's all about. And all of a sudden, God just makes it crystal clear and you see it and you get it. And there's life change and you're altered as a result of it. Those are two moments. And then here's the final moment that he has. 
And it usually happens with everybody who's been set free. Everybody who's had their sin purged. Everybody who's touched and connected with God. Check this out. He has a do it moment. He has a do it moment. He hears God, and that's another thing. I mean, for those of you who like a little bit more of the meaty stuff, he comes into the place like you've come into this place today or you go to church, and usually we have just a mere consciousness of God. You came into this place, the songs were about God. You go to church, the songs are about God. People are shaking hands and they have Bibles, and you're, you're, you're conscious that this is about God. You have a mere consciousness of God. Isaiah had a mere consciousness of God. But whenever he listened, he stopped running from what God was trying to do in his life and received what God was doing in his life and let God even hurt him in the process with this hot coal, which is a big symbolic thing of what Jesus can do on the cross. Listen, watch this. He moves from just a mere consciousness of God to meaningful communion with God. That's a huge altar. Because what happens is, at first he was just kind of merely aware, okay, they're singing about God, and this is about God, and I'm aware that it's about God. But all of a sudden now, from mere consciousness to meaningful communion with God. Verse 8, verse 9, he says, also I heard the voice of the Lord. And what's interesting about this text is, God wasn't talking to Isaiah. God was talking to God. The Trinity is involved in that word us. There's a triunial meeting in that in the context of the Hebrew. And God is just having basically a little business meeting. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're hanging out and saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah is now so connected with the God factor, he is overhearing the conversation of heaven. And why should that surprise us? Because God says that if you will lean into him and you'll let him do a work in your life, he will actually be behind you saying, don't go to the left and don't go to the right. Let me whisper in your heart the secrets of God. He hears the voice of God. And when he hears the voice, and I pray that this week would be moments when you who have prayed and are leaning into God will hear the voice of God. And when he hears them, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I want to give props to Isaiah one more time and we're almost done for what he doesn't do. He doesn't do again what we do most of the time, and I say we meaning me too, either. He doesn't do what we often do when we hear something from God, when God speaks to us in the word or God speaks us to a preacher or God speaks us to a song or something. He doesn't do what we're most often guilty of doing, and that's this. Okay, we hear God, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And we're like, I got a question. Question God. Yes. Not really. God probably wouldn't talk like that. We, we, we're more comfortable with yes. Big deep voice of God. What's your question? What do you want me to do? We do that all the time. Matter of fact, God, let me do this. I know that there's a big need, but let me take a spiritual test to see if I, in fact, have the gift to do that. I'm not against the spiritual gift things, but sometimes they're the biggest cop-out in Christianity. Nine times out of ten, God's already gifted you to do it. All you've got to do is just line up and just surrender to go do it. Most of the time, we just want to ask what. We want to take a spiritual gift test because really what we're doing is we're trying to assess whether or not we're going to like what he wants us to do. Am I going to like it? Because if I like doing it, then I'm going to do it. Has it ever dawned on you that there might be things this week that God calls you to do that you're not going to like doing? And it always helps you if you just throw that question what out. Don't even ask it. Isaiah does it. He's much more of a man of God than I'll ever be. I ask what a lot. And then he, you know, one more question. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. When do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it, God? Because it can't be during football season. It definitely can't be during, you know, the school season because I got all these tests and I got all these books to read and I got all this stuff to do. It can't be during, you know, Tuesday night or 
or Thursday night because, you know, we got the American Idol thing going down, and then we're going to hang out with some friends and watch reruns of, you know, Fear Factor, which should actually be called Hurl Factor. But, you know, the, I'm busy. I have my life, God. When do you want me to do it? Let me try to fit it in. Some of us, our God is so posted, stamped side small, that we actually have to check our PDA or our palm or our calendar to find out if we can kind of fit him in on our agenda. And when you really encounter with God, you don't do that, man. You don't ask when. And the final thing he doesn't ask, which blows my mind, he doesn't say, okay, God, um, what's it going to cost me? He'd end it up. There's no what. There's no when do you want me to do it? And there's no how much is it going to cost me? You know what he just says? Because it's an authentic moment with God. This is what he says. I'll do it. Could you imagine God? Well, don't you want to know what? No, I don't care. Don't you want to know when? I don't care. Don't you want to know how much it's going to cost you? I, no. Why? Because God, I thought you were going to kill me. I thought you were going to crush me. I'm looking at me, see? And then I'm looking at you, holy, transcendent, pure. And I honestly thought I was toast. And so God, I'm just grateful. And I'll go. Because you didn't kill me, you've cured me. That sets as the template of what an encounter with God looks like. That we will worship him demonstratively. That the not so obvious will become crystal clear this week. Especially about his salvation. He is so good. Just like Brittany beautifully sang about his grace. And then whatever he asks you to do this week, can we just pray as we're about to leave? That whatever he kind of whispers to us, that there would literally be thousands of us that would just go, you know what, God, no what, no when, I don't care about the cost. Sign me up. I believe that would be a good, actual, spiritual emphasis week if that happens by the time we get done with this thing by the end of the week. Let's pray together. Father, we bow the knee to you and we pray. Thank you for this template that we see in this encounter with Isaiah as he encounters you. Help us, oh God, to lean into this thing this week. I pray for those, God, who are on the outside of Christianity looking in and they're running from you. God, I pray that they would no longer run, but they would receive what you're wanting to do in their life. As you remain in this attitude of prayer with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and this reverent posture of worship. I wonder how many of you right now would just be so honest and say, Tony, as you were speaking and that whole running and receiving thing, I have yet to let God just purge me of my sin. I have yet to really connect with this Jesus factor. And quite frankly, I've been kind of running and stiff-arming God on this whole Jesus factor, but I don't want to be there anymore. I want to receive this. And Tony, I want to be set free from my sin. If that's you right now, boldly on the count of three, nobody's looking around. The devil's going to tell you not to do this. Don't listen to him. You listen to Jesus. Jesus said to come to him and to receive what he wants to do. But if that's you right now, I want you to boldly let me know. By on the count of three, I want you to boldly raise your hand straight up in the air. One, two, three. Raise your hands right now. I see them. I see a bunch of hands. I see a bunch of your hands. I wonder if those of you that have your hands up, 
if you would take it one step further and be absolutely bold enough, bold enough to take it one step further and to just reverently, because this is an encounter with God, reverently in the presence of God, take it one step further, and would you just reverently stand to your feet? I'm going to pray over you. Just stand to your feet. If you raised your hand, stand to your feet. God bless you, and God bless you. God bless you. God bless you up there. God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, and God bless you. That's it, man. Go, God. There is a slew of you. There's a bunch of you. And I pray that your, your spiritual leaders and your RAs and SLDs and those would kind of notice. And I, I just pray, those of you that are standing, just look up here at me. You've already heard enough. But I pray that you, before the day is over, would you connect with your spiritual leaders, your spiritual director people in your, in your area, your community? Would you let them know what's going on in your life today and let them love on you and pray for you? And I'm going to pray for you in this moment that God would just enable you to experience the amazing freedom of Jesus. Then the rest of us, there's a lot of things that God wants us to do. I pray that by the end of the week, we'll be ready to do it. Father, for your glory and your honor, thank you for all of those that stood in this moment. Oh, God, thank you that you have come to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. May they experience your joy and freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, the services are going to be every night at 7.30, man, this week, tonight. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night, I look forward to seeing you guys here, man. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And God bless all you guys that stood up, man. Grace to you.